first of all, I just want to say it's so good. I'm so excited to be back here with you guys this week. Thank you guys so, so much, Church, for giving us the opportunity to go and be away last week um, on vacation. That started a few years ago. I, I don't know why. I think we randomly picked uh, to go on a uh, Mother's Day to vacation. And uh, at that point forward, Ashley was like, this is the gift I want every year. I want to be out of the state uh, near, near uh, water for Mother's Day. That's all I want. And uh, that is a, a great time because um, it's, it, I, I can't really turn things off on a Sunday, right? So uh, if we're here, I'm just going to be working and doing stuff. And so if we're away, she gets to be honored. And so I, I was so thankful that we got to go and be away. And I want to say thank you, Aaron. Um, we, I got to sit on the beach and turn on my little Bluetooth speaker and tune in with you guys uh, uh, on Sunday morning. And Aaron, you killed it. That was incredible. Like... What a challenge. And so I, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful to, to be back. And so now after a couple weeks away, we are back in Acts. Who's missed it? Anybody missed it? It's such a short book. I don't know how it's taken so long. Um, somebody was talking to me about the other day that uh, somebody had said that they were going to cover the book of Acts in like six weeks. I was like, how? I don't understand this. I couldn't even read it in six weeks. Um, so we are in Acts chapter 17. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to start in verse 16 today. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. I'm going to dive right in. So verse 16 says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So if, you're, if you remember where we left off, uh, Paul had just been in Berea and they were telling the, the, the people about the, about, uh, the gospel. He was teaching the gospel. People, uh, people were coming to the Lord. They were uh, receiving Jesus as their savior. This was like a, a big thing. The Bereans, they took the word really well, right? They, they listened to what he said. They're, they're uh, eagerly listening, but then they went home to study their Bibles themselves to say, all right, I want to know if this is true. And so they're listening. But then at the end of this, the Thessalonians heard about it and they're like, nope, none of that. And they sent people to Berea to go and to, uh, stop this again. So Paul gets chased out. He's going to be attacked. And so the Bereans send him, just him, uh, to Athens to, to go and wait. And Timothy and Silas are, uh, are staying in Berea to continue the work of helping this young infant church get started and uh, strengthened before they go to meet Paul. So he's kind of in a waiting zone. So he's waiting in Athens. Who in here struggles with waiting? Oh, there's some big hands. That's good. We got some honesty this morning. I like it. Um, anybody hate it when your food takes a long time to come out of a restaurant? Who in, here, who in here actually has anger issues when it comes to that? Just go ahead, just own it. Uh, okay, th this is one I have to pick on because this is me. I, that one's not so bad for me, um, I don't, unless I'm hangry. Um, but if uh, one of these, uh, who in here knows what the left lane is for? <laughs> crime, right? It's for crime. If you're driving the speed limit in the left lane, you're doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> so who in here struggles when there's somebody in the left lane driving the same speed as the person in the right lane? Who in here has blood pressure building for every moment? <laughs> Some, people's arms are getting pushed higher by their spouses. I like it. If I was, if I was next to Ashley, she'd be like, you need two hands up, honey. Um, like, I, like real issues. Like I, my heart rate races. I'm like, I, I think I could actually, I don't know. I, I should stop talking. Um, I don't like to wait. I struggle with waiting. How do we typically wait when we have to wait? For me, the answers I came up with were, first of all, impatiently. Anybody impatient? I will wait, but it better be fast. And second of all, I wait inactively. That's the worst one, right? 
while I'm waiting, I'm typically doing nothing but thinking about what I'm waiting for. Angrily thinking about what I'm waiting for. When is that dodo gonna get out of this lane so I can go fast again? I'm doing nothing else but just locked into this zone of anger and frustration or hurt or impatience and I'm just doing nothing but thinking, well, I'm just gonna sit here until this happens. What could I be doing? Let's go back to my zone. This is what we'll makes this confessional. This is all about me. Uh, what could I be doing in that time where I'm stuck in the left lane going slow? Could I love my kids really well? Could I pray? Could I talk about church? Could I talk about life group? Could I ask somebody how their day's going? Could I ask somebody about something that was difficult last week? That would be actively waiting. Do I practice that much? No. I typically get stuck impatiently, inactively waiting for what I want. Paul chooses to use his time waiting as an opportunity to do something else. Maybe you're in a season of waiting right now. And maybe listening to that, you're thinking, okay, ouch, that's me. And, and again, this was convicting to me. This is me, right? You're in a season of waiting, but you've been waiting impatiently and inactively. Locked in in your mind on what I want to happen. So you're sitting there doing nothing because you're waiting for the next thing. What if you said, instead of doing that, I want to wait well. I want to actively wait. Who cares that it's not here yet? I have no control of that. I can't control the way other people drive as much as I wish I could. I can't control the speed of the food coming out to my table. I can control what I do with the time while I'm waiting. What if we waited well, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel? So he's waiting in Athens. I'm gonna read a little bit about Athens right now. By the time Paul brought the Christian message to Athens, the city had only a portion of its former glory and prestige. Roman emperors continued to extend patronage by providing for new buildings and the restoration of the Agora, the, the marketplace. We're going to stu uh, study about that in a minute. Athens continued to be the home of the most prominent university in the Greek world. Both Epicurean and Stoic philosophy had worthy representatives in the city. So this is the place that Paul was sent to wait for Silas and Timothy in Athens. This was the place where like the philosophers hung out. So it wasn't what it used to be in terms of like uh, uh, for the whole uh, Roman empire, this place of, of major prestige, but it was still a big deal. And this was where the smart people hung out. And it says that his spirit was provoked. His spirit, this is the, uh, this means autonuma, the non-material psychological faculty, which is potentially sensitive and responsive to God. So Paul's spirit, the part of him that can respond to God, the part of him that is eternal, the part of him that can hear and, and sense God. Everyone in this room has a spirit in them. We are spiritual beings that also have a physical body, right? And so that spirit inside of us, that's what can respond to the Lord. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is his spirit. His spirit was provoked. That word means to be provoked or upset at someone or something involving severe emotional concern. Anybody ever had severe emotional concern? Anybody in here ever been really angry? That's what that's saying. That's, that's nice. Next time you're really angry, say, I'm severely emotionally concerned about you. <laughs> It'll sound better. What provokes you? Anybody easily provoked? Oh, oh, there you go. 
Some of you guys are just not honest, and that's okay. Anybody know people that are easily provoked? <laughs> Some hands. Anybody know anybody in this room that's easily provoked? <laughs> I'm making it awkward for everybody. I like it. Who in here hates it when people move your stuff? Ashley, yeah, thanks. That's me. <laughs> I hate it. We play a lot of times at dinner. We'll uh, we'll do a thing where we play Would You Rather um, as a family. That's a way to just to talk. Uh, it's Crockett's favorite thing on earth. Um, and Jude had one for me the other day that was Would I rather have somebody come in and rearrange my office on a weekly basis, or I can't even remember what. But I was like, I pick the other thing. I don't care what the other thing is. Doesn't matter. Eat, eat roaches every day, sure. You can't just move my stuff. I hate it. Anybody get? Anybody ever seen a uh, toddler get provoked by getting a toy taken away? What's the response to that? Very similar to adults when they get something taken away. Um, (laughs) Why are we so quickly provoked by things that don't matter? And why are we so quickly dismissive of things that do? Jesus, help us to be provoked by evil and agonize over the lost. Paul was provoked, not because somebody was going too slow, not because somebody touched his stuff, not because he didn't get his way. Paul's spirit was provoked because this city was full of idols. When was the last time you were provoked at the idolatry in our city? Now, for some of you, you'll be like, oh, the other day, I was just, I was furious. I saw somebody doing bad things and I was furious. Okay, what did that provocation lead you to do? Because that's gonna show the content of your heart. If you're provoked by seeing evil in our city and your answer to that, your your, uh, action point is, I'm gonna go home and complain, has that helped your city? How many of us, that is our standard answer. I'm going to see something I don't like and I'm going to talk about it the whole way home until my spouse is like, okay, I get it. You hate that. That's fine. Yes, that shouldn't be there. Paul's response to being provoked, to being angry at seeing evil things in this city in Athens was to go to those evil people and bring them the gospel. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Reason, this means to argue, dispute, or discuss with reasonable discourse. Okay, so it it can be all those things. Sometimes it's an argument. Sometimes it's, it's like debating a little bit or disputing something. Sometimes it's just discussing an issue. Even if you've been provoked by the idolatry of our city, Have you intentionally pursued conversations with those in idolatry? Because this is our great commission. To see the evil that's in the world because Jesus said it would be here. To see it and say, okay, I see that and I hate it because it's hurting people and I have the answer. It's the gospel. So now I'm gonna go and reach out to these people lost in idolatry and bringing them the hope of Jesus Christ. And the first place they went to, to reason was in the synagogue. Again, Paul has some pretty standard mode of operation here, right? So why does he first go to the synagogue where people are already like kind of know who God is? 
The reason he went there is because this mission was too big for just Paul. I want to say this. If the pastor is the only person fulfilling the Great Commission, billions of people will never hear the gospel. Paul knew he needed a church full of disciples who were seeking to make disciples that would then make more disciples in order for Athens to be changed. If Paul thought, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to do all the work, Athens would have died in their sin. There had to be a church. That's God's method, right? God created the way that the word was supposed to be spread. Not us. And it's not let the professionals do the job because, I mean, look at me, church. I'm not a professional, right? Amen. Okay. There are no professionals when it comes to the faith. We're all called to go do this together. Paul's mission was first. I, I've got to help this. We have to have a church. We have to have a group of people that are a family of families doing this together that say, hey, we love each other. We're going to build each other up. We're going to meet and worship in every way we can. But then we're going to go out together pursuing those that don't know Christ yet. So he went to the synagogue talking to the Jewish people and the devout people. But then he also went to the marketplace. This is the, the Agora. We talked about this uh, opening up. So this is the place for buying and selling of goods. Generally, the marketplaces of the ancient Near East would be much like the open air bazaars one can still see in any city throughout Israel, Greece, and Turkey. The marketplace of the New Testament times was a place for buying and selling goods, a place for children to play, a place for idlers and men seeking work, a place where public events, including healings occurred, a place where greetings were exchanged, the center of public life and debate, and a place where trials were held. Lots of things happened in the marketplace. So why did he go then to the marketplace? If he's, if he's already hanging out in the synagogue, talking to the people that he had the easiest inroad to bring the gospel to, why was he going also then out to the marketplace where all the bad people were? Because the lost inside of these walls today are no different than the lost people outside. There's not somebody that is more lost than someone else. Does that make sense? And every single person is worth the pursuit of the gospel. And he did this every day. Man, is that not convicting to hear the word every day? Here and here hates it when uh, people ask you the question, and you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. When's the last time you shared your faith? Anybody cringe when you hear that? I can tell by looks. It's like, please don't make me raise my hand. We hate that question, right? It's a struggle question because we're like, eh, I don't remember. And here's Paul saying, if you asked him, oh, yesterday, today, because I want to do that every single day, every opportunity I have, every chance I'm waiting, I want to have a chance to pursue giving the gospel to somebody else. I have many things I do daily, but this has to be added. I need to spend intentional time around the lost people God has placed in my life every day because they need the gospel desperately. So every day he'd go to the marketplace to talk to whoever happened to be there. He was just putting himself in place where lost people were 
and finding ways to start conversations with them. And they happen to be there for Paul, but God's the one that destined those, men, those people to be there, right? God knew who was going to be in the marketplace when Paul showed up. So Paul came there ready to give the gospel. All right, let's start verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. All right, we're going to start with the word philosopher. So uh, this is a person of professional or semi-professional status regarded as having a particular capacity or competence in understanding the meaning of, or significance of human experience. These philosophers knew why we are here. I can tell you the meaning of life. So these guys were all the rage in ancient Rome. The big guys, the big philosophers, they had thousands of followers and everybody listened to them and they were like, oh no, no, I, I follow Socrates. I follow uh, Plato. I follow uh, you know, Ep Epicurus, you know, all, all the ones, right? So the Epicureans. This is pertaining to the philosophical system of the Greek philosopher Epicurus, who taught that the world is a series of fortuitous combinations of atoms and that the highest good, the best thing you could possibly pursue is personal pleasure. Does anyone see the danger in that philosophy? If my pleasure is the highest good, what do you matter? Very little. You only matter so much as you add to my pleasure. Do people still practice this today? Yup. Do Christians still chase this today? Yup. This is a very dangerous philosophy. So they're Epicureans that are there talking to Paul saying, huh, interesting. Let's hear what you have to say. You have the Stoics. This is pertaining to the philosophical system of Greek philosopher Zeno, who taught that people should be free from excessive joy. How dare you pursue excessive joy? Get, get rid of that. Or excessive grief and submit without complaint to necessity. Okay, so almost the exact opposite of the Epicureans. Epicureans, pleasure is the highest pursuit. Chase that. Stoics, mm, get rid of the extremes. Necessity dictates you sit in the middle. Don't complain about it. Do your job. Do what's necessary for you. And don't complain about the fact that life is what it is. Does anybody see the danger of, it, of this? These people are commanded to disregard a pursuit of joy, something that God created, calls good, and offers to us. says that he, they were conversing. This means to express differences of opinions in a forceful way involving alternative opportunities for presenting contrasting viewpoints. Can you imagine these debates? One group places personal pleasure as the highest good. One group disregards pleasure or joy entirely placing necessity as the highest good. And then you have Paul showing up saying, actually, the highest good is Jesus Christ. Anybody think those were uh, hotly debated? And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Not a babbler. I, I really, I like this word. So uh, the Greek word is spermologos. And it literally means one who picks up seeds. So if you were to say just that word, it means somebody's picking up seeds. What it meant was one who is not able to say anything worthwhile 
in view of his miscellaneous collection of tidbits of information. I feel personally attacked. As I read that, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm a babbler. That's ridiculous. I, I, I love knowing, anybody else love random things, random knowledge, just like to know just all kinds of things. Yeah, Josh does and, and Alex, I like that. Josh, you got pointed at, buddy. Like, so things like this, I, listening to the radio the other day, I learned, uh, a, a, do you know what the, so the amount of toothpaste you put on the end of a toothbrush is? Do you know there's a word for that? It's called something. It's a nurdle. N-U-R-D-L-E. That's what you put on your toothbrush. A nurdle. There you go. I'm a babbler. These people are accusing Paul of being someone that just heard bits and pieces of other philosophers and is now just throwing them all out, not knowing what he's actually talking about. He's just, he's heard some stuff and he's tossing junk out there. He, this is all over the place. I, he, yeah, he knows a couple things from a few guys and he's just trying to make something up. He has nothing useful to offer us. He's just heard lots of other things. But some people called him a preacher. This is a herald, an announcer, or a proclaimer. So what's the difference between a babbler and a preacher? One accepts truths from everywhere. The other accepts truths from only one source. So a preacher is one saying, I'm not up here to give you truths that I found out from all over the place. I want to tell you truth that comes only from the word of God. They said he's a preacher of foreign divinities. This is an unheard of and unfamiliar supernatural being of somewhat lesser value than a God. So they didn't call him, they didn't say he's preaching other gods. They said oh, some kind of other lesser God. The reason is that Jesus could not have been a Roman God because Jesus was omnipotent, yet he left heaven. He was omniscient, yet he walked a path of personal destruction. He was omnipresent and yet he was choosing to be in this very evil, broken, hurt people. You see, none of the Roman gods would have done anything like that. They were temperamental, they were angry, and they did not care very much about people, right? They cared about themselves. And then here's this Jesus that Paul's talking about who left heaven to walk earth in sacrifice for his people. That does not fit in the, that broke the brains of the people who believe in Roman gods, right? They're like, wait, your God did what? He says he was preaching. This means to communicate the good news concerning the gospel, or concerning something. This is the gospel. So the question for us then comes, here's Paul talking to very unlikely people. The geniuses of, the, of this nation the ones that knew the philosophies in two different camps that knew what the meaning of life was. And here Paul's sitting down, going back and forth with them saying, let me talk to you about real truth. Let me give the gospel to you. Who are you giving the gospel to? God has intentionally placed lost people in your life. Are you being intentional with the time he has given you with them? If God was intentional by placing them there, why are we so dismissive of their presence? Why are we so angry at their presence? Anybody ever said, can't they just clean themselves up? Why don't they just fix that stuff? 
You know why? They don't have Jesus. And without Christ, you wouldn't be cleaned up either. See, he's talking about, they're saying that he must be talking about some gods because he's talking about this Jesus and this resurrection. So their lesser God thing came from heaven, but then died and was then resurrected from the dead. Here's the thing that Paul was focusing on. He, he knew what to preach. Our only hope, Jesus, his sacrifice and his resurrection. That's our hope. And the reason it stuck out is because that doesn't exist in any other faith. There's no other God that died for his people and then conquered death for them. Let's read these last verses, starting in verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this teaching, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So literally Areopagus means hill of Mars. Uh, it's the location of an Athenian court traditionally associated with a rocky hill close to the Acropolis, though probably located in the marketplace at the foot of the hill. So this is a big deal that Paul's invited to the Areopagus. It's a big deal. Big things happen here. One of the things that happened here, Socrates was put on trial here for, dis, uh, for degrading Roman gods. So this is where Socrates was actually on trial for his crimes of degrading the Roman gods. Paul was brought here because his message uh, astounded the intellectual people. He was teaching them the gospel and they, it was breaking their brains. They're like, wait a minute, you have a God that loves humans, including us that don't love him. And he left heaven to walk earth in perfection then he willingly submitted himself to torture and murder. Then he rose from the dead and offers a gift of salvation with no other requirement. This broke their minds. And they're like, you gotta come to our big place to talk about this. People need to hear what you're saying. This is wild. He says, come to the Areopagus that we may know. They wanted to know what Paul was telling them. They wanted to know this. Can I tell you something that we forget? So do your people. The people that God intentionally placed in your life that don't know him yet, they want to know what you believe. Do you know it's more awkward for them? The fact that you don't talk about it. You claim a life-changing faith. You come at least you know, once a month or so, maybe every week to a building to talk about this faith that changed your life. Maybe you're in a life group where you talk again about this faith that changed your life. But then when you go and sit down with them in the office, you're silent. That's more awkward than not than talking to them about it. Because if your faith is real, they think that it should mean something to you. You not communicating your faith with the people in your life tells them one of two things. Either you don't think it's real or you don't think they're worth it. He says, we want you to come and talk to us. We want to understand. We want to know your new teaching. The gospel is still new to so many people. Even to people that you know that have attended church for years, the gospel can be very new because lots of people come in and sit in church and don't understand the gospel. This new teaching you've been presenting, this means to speak about freely. So why in the world would they want to know more about this? They've just been in a debate. Anybody ever been in a debate? Anybody ever been in a debate and walked away angry? 
It happens a lot, right? They're in a debate, but they walked away saying, hey, will you come with us to this place where more people are so we can have more people hear what you're saying? Why would this happen? Maybe it's because of the way that Paul was presenting the gospel. Maybe as we see him talk about himself in other letters he writes, he walks in saying, I'm the most broken person you've ever met. And there's no sinner greater than I am. So yeah, he wants to save you because he wanted to save me. I was, I was killing these people. I was putting them in jail. And Jesus saved me as an example of who he wants to save. Instead of, hey, you need to get your life together like I did. So you can look like me and Jesus would do it. So why don't you go get better clothes on, go fix your hair, go do your stuff. And then maybe we'll go talk at church. Do your interactions with lost people, the ones that God has placed in your life, do those interactions lead them to want to hear more from you? Or do your interactions with lost people that God placed in your life cause them to want to be as far away from you as they possibly can? Let's go back to a specific situation. That poor waitress that's slow with your food that we're angry at, that we're impatiently and actively waiting, thinking nothing about how incompetent she is? Does she want to wait on our table again because of the interaction she has with us? Because of Jesus Christ in us? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Strange things. This is something that causes the experience of a sudden feeling of unexpected wonder. This is the gospel. It's the most amazing gift you can give to anyone you know, but it's also a jarring truth to hear for the first time, right? What do people hear on a regular basis from our culture? Are, are, people, are people good by nature, according to our culture? Our culture says, yeah, you're good. Just the way you are. In fact, any way you want to be, you're good. You go with the gospel and what's the first thing you have to say? But you're not. You're not good. And that's hard. But then you get to go to this. But Jesus was good for you. And then he died in your place. So believe in him. That's some strange news. And it says that they, they, they wish to know more. They wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Or the word wish means to desire to have or experience something with the implication of something, of some reason, planning, or will to accomplish the goal. They want to have the results of the gospel. They're like, okay, wait a minute. You're saying, in the end, if we listen to you and, and do what you're saying, we live forever with this God that loves us? Okay. So they want the results of the gospel. So do most people. When you ask people, do you want to go to heaven or hell? How many people pick hell? None, right? That's the easy part. Like, well, of course I want to go to heaven. I want the results of the gospel. And they're willing to put in the work for it. They're like, hey, tell us more. We want to, we want to know what to do. Most people believe uh, that, that they're willing to put in the work for it, right? And, and most people that don't understand the gospel, don't understand Jesus say, 
I will be a good person, therefore I can go to heaven, right? That's a pretty common belief. I'll be more good than bad. Hopefully things turn out for me. And they want to know, this is to acquire information by whatever means, but often with the implication of personal involvement or experience. They're listening, they're, they're saying, hey, listen, we've got to know what you're saying is true. That's not a bad thing that they want, right? Sometimes we get very offended when somebody says, I don't know what you're saying is true. I gotta, I gotta understand this better. And we get offended by doubt or questions. We shouldn't be. That's a wonderful thing for somebody to say, I'm, I'm hearing you, but I don't understand yet. And I don't know what you're saying is true. Can we talk more? What's your answer? Yes, come over, let's eat dinner. Let's talk more, let's, whatever you need, I will talk as much as you want because I know this is true and you can too. We want to know these things you're saying, the strange things you're saying, we need to know what they mean. This is the most important part of sharing the gospel. They're asking for it because the gospel is not just repeating words or saying a specific prayer, right? Can you repeat words and remain lost? Can you say a specific prayer and remain a lost person? Yes. What it means to hear the gospel, the truth, the deepest part of it is placing your faith in Jesus for salvation. And they're saying, help us understand what it means. All right, this last verse. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. All right, they're spending their time in this. Anyone in here have any convictions in how you spend your time? Oh, you guys are way better at that than I am. Good. We can skip. Anybody have a wish that you could go back in time and change how you prioritize some of your time? See, these Athenians are spending their time doing nothing but. So they, were, they, they had an addiction problem, right? They had no room for anything else other than telling or hearing something new. The good news is the church today has conquered the idolatry of new things. We don't need new phones every year. We don't need new TVs. We don't need new cars. We don't need new clothes. We've conquered that. We have no, that has no place in our hearts anymore, right? Man, we are quiet today. This is convicting. The problem with this idolatry for, of the new is that it is never ending additions. And here's why it's a problem. Jesus can't be just added into your life as another God. It can't be I have the God of myself, the God of my job, the God of my other, all these things, and I'll add Jesus in. He can be one of the things that I worship. You have to place all of your faith in just him. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I have just a couple of questions for us to walk through as we wrap up in worship. Are you in a season of waiting? Are you in a time right now where you're waiting for something? If you are, are you waiting well? Are you choosing to use your time of waiting to do something godly? Or are you impatient and inactive? Second of all, do you care about the lost people that God has intentionally placed in your life? 
Are you spending intentional time in pursuit of them? Or are you waiting on someone else to do it for you? And my last question is the most important one of all. Have you placed all of your faith in Christ alone for salvation? If you have not done that, I beg you to do that today. Believe in him and his gift of salvation. And if you have questions, please come ask. Jesus, I, I pray that you help us to be a people who wait well. Help us to be a people who are intentionally in pursuit of the lost people that you have intentionally placed in our lives. That God, we'd stop being blind when, we, when they're around us. That we'd stop being silent, making it our faith either seem like it's something that we don't truly really believe in or that they're not worthy of a conversation for. God, that we would pursue them because you are worth it. Christ, you are the only means of salvation. You're the only one who saves. And our world is dying. Our city is living in idolatry, just like Athens was. And these people are going to hell without you. Lord, let us not look and just sit in anger at them. Break our hearts for them and give us the conviction to go out and bring your good news to the people you've placed in our lives. Lord, if there's someone in here that has not placed their faith in you, I pray that you would convict them right now to see their sin and to see that there's no other answer for it. They're stuck with it unless they give it to you on the cross where you willingly take it. And God, you willingly give your goodness to us broken lost people, making us sons and daughters of you. Draw people to you today. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.